It is another episode of Gotta Get Up, a podcast for New York Liberty fans, brought to you by Black Rosie Media. Yes, yes, y'all. It is the New York Liberty versus the Las Vegas Aces, the quote-unquote super teams, just like Kathy Engelbert designed it in the Petri dish. <laughs> exactly. Not even a script. You concocted this joint. This is wild. That's right. This is a synthetically made, artificially uh, inseminated WNBA finals, and we are going to talk about it on this episode of Gotta Get Up. <laughs> Hey, women's basketball fans, welcome to Gotta Get Up, a podcast for New York Liberty fans brought to you by Black Rosie Media and hosted by Erica L. Ayala. <laughs> yeah, I'm we keeping it. I don't care. I said what I said. All right, folks, jokes aside, listen, there two things can be true. The WNBA and Kathy Engelbert has definitely been talking about rivalries and seems to have an affinity for the Las Vegas and New York markets that I think the, the you know, the, the breadcrumbs are there. But what we also know is that these are two teams in, I would argue, different ways have really had their stars um, rise to the top. And when I say stars, I think that what we've seen is that different players at different times have been able to be effective while also having a through line of, you know, anywhere from uh, one to five, like a whole starting five, <laughs> that has been able to be effective. So, Misha, let's start with you. The New York Liberty were able to get the win over the Connecticut Sun. It wasn't easy, but they got it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just, uh, like we just mentioned, I'm gutted for the sun. I'm gutted for that franchise. Um, but I think that entire series, it it proved something. You know what I'm saying? It proved something to to the city of New York. It proved something to that team. Like, look, we've been throwing punches by everybody this whole season. Everybody, you know, arguably between the super teams, this was the one that had more holes in it to, to I think, critics' eyes and I'm just really happy for for everybody on that team who's been there for a while. You know what I mean? The Benajas and Sabrinas and uh, Steph Dolsons even, and, and folks who really built that back when Walt was the coach, back when, you know, it was wins were few and far between. Um, so I'm just really happy for that franchise. I think they proved to themselves that, you know, they can put they can turn that switch on and keep it on. They can put that that pedal to the floor and keep pushing. And I also thought it was really interesting reporting Brian, you know, Benajalani at – a time this season had to have a heart to heart with Sandy Brondello. That's what Holly Rowe reported on the broadcast. Not surprising to me, to be honest, because since Benajelani has come in kind of similarly to, you know, we have talked on air, definitely off air about (laughs) Tina Charles kind of team hopping. And I think part of what happened with Tina Charles is that she was going to a team to play a specific role, knowing she was in the twilight of her, her career and then injuries <laughs> and all kinds of other things phoenix um cr- created a scenario where she was playing a role that she not that she couldn't play but that she didn't quite frankly want to play 
way towards the back end of her career. I think it's the opposite with Benajelani. She was being asked to really be the defensive, as I keep saying, anchor for the, the Liberty squad and had to find, um, even under Walt Hopkins, right? She had to prove that the Liberty should be scheming offensively for her. So she did that. But then now, again, coming in with a, 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 new, a new wave of talent, having to reestablish herself offensively. Uh, but I'm glad Sandy and Benajah figured it out, Brian, because um, what, excuse me, what is not talked about enough, in my opinion, is that the person who is going to the WNBA finals for the first time in her career might very well be one of the most consistently important pieces for this New York Liberty squad. Yeah, like we talk a lot about the Liberty as a collective sacrificing new roles, new players, new ideas, new, new sort of expectations. I think Laney's sacrifice really, not so much what underreported, but I, I don't think we put enough emphasis on because even towards the end of 21, she had to have the knee surgery in the offseason because she did so much heavy lifting in 21. 22, she only had eight games. And in the beginning, she struggled, then had to have knee surgery again. So she was out for three months, came back towards the finish line, and then had to do a mad dash just to get the team into the postseason. And even right. coming into camp, she mentioned, even back at, at um Olympic camp in February in Minnesota, we asked her about it. She said, you know, my knee feels great. I feel excited. I feel good. And I'm really ready to lock in. And when it came to pre when it came to training camp, Slew got injured late. So she had a concussion. So she wasn't really able to get integrated in. JJ, we found out in camp, had the foot fracture. So she's getting integrated in. Meanwhile, Laney's getting her first real healthy time in Sandy's system. And then you combine that with three new players, a new role for UNESCO, new role for Johannes when she came in, all these kind of things happening all at once. So it was a lot of just trying to sort of figure everything out on the fly. And to a certain extent, she didn't. She almost became like the forgotten party, if you will, because in 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 the goal to establish JJ Sloot's chemistry early on, she almost like fell to the wayside. But then gradually, as the as the rest of the team started getting healthy, Sandy took more off of Stewie's shoulders, had B do a little bit more, and she was able to really sort of like add that mid-range punch to the lineup give them another pulse option to work with. And I think also with that came an, a realization that teams are trying to put their worst defenders on her, which is a bad idea because that's a former all-star, most improved sixth player of the year player right there. And she was able to really sort of feast on that. And she kept that defensive intensity up, which I thought was really fantastic. Like their defense gradually got better and better throughout the year. And Laney had the assignment of guarding team's best perimeter players. Like in the beginning of the year, she had Kelsey Mitchell of Indiana. She had Bonner a bunch of times early on. So just being able to adjust to adjust to a new role on the fly, adjust to having your first, first fully healthy season in two years, with new teammates, different expectations, all those things coming together, I thought was really incredible work on her part. And I think that it was awesome that the team really sort of made an emphasis to get her more involved, really put her to the forefront of what they're doing on defense, as, as far as like, trusting her with those assignments, giving her that defensive, the defensive player of the year campaign push and really emphasizing her 
I guess her overall excellence and, and what she does on both sides of the ball. So I thought that as the team got better, you can see that her game really picked up and we just saw over the weekend just how awesome she was in these big time settings. So it really gave them even more options and, and sort of flexibility as far as what they can do. Yeah, and I think that when we talk about having to win by committee, we more often talk about the New York Liberty just again, you know, we, we um, I think, Misha, you mentioned, right, that this is a team that pr presumably had more holes. So now let's talk about the Las Vegas Aces, who obviously will have home court advantage throughout the playoffs. So they're guaranteed, obviously, two at home and will have game five if necessary. But you mentioned Brian, Defensive Player of the Year. Misha, when Asia Wilson won Defensive Player of the Year. There was one teammate that she brought up and made sure was right by her side, and that was one Kia Stokes, former New York Liberty player, who seems to have found her stride with this Aces squad. Yeah, and it's it's fitting that you mention her after mentioning Vinaja Laney because another player who is a consummate professional in the sense that She's been in the league and she's filled whatever role has needed to be filled and she's done it to the best of her ability. No complaints. No, like when have you heard Kia Stokes name in some, in some mess? You know what I mean? Like Kia Stokes is one of those folks who just goes in, does her work, does her job, is an excellent teammate. And you know what I mean? Produces. And I'm just so, I'm so stoked for Asia Wilson, but I'm so stoked that she was able to use that moment to, to give her partner a pat on the back because folks who play excellent defense need other players on their team to a know what kind of defense they like to play what kind of you know for guards you like to gamble for posts you like to want to go over there and time somebody shot up am i gonna need to help you a little bit extra on this like that kind of stuff is is chemistry it's selflessness um and it's it's teamwork um and so i'm just obviously happy for asia wilson but really happy that kia stokes is getting her flowers too yeah for sure i would add just a, a minor little wrinkle to what you said because how Kia ends up in Las Vegas might be because the runway and the, the new New York Liberty as we know it now was still in that hybrid rebuild phase, you know, that you're growing your hair out past the shoulder length phase and you don't know what to do with it. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience, <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> well, you see the hat once again. You see the hat <laughs> for a reason, all right. I mean, oh. just push that thing back and hope for the best. But um, <laughs> but um, you know, I think Kia Stokes, even under Bill and Beer, with the New York Liberty, I I agree. She didn't complain very much, but also. I mean, I I never really saw the full vision for Bill Ambeer and his player development. I think the his best was probably Asia Wilson, but he went to, to use a Vegas term. He went all in on Asia in a way that he really didn't go in all in on anybody else. Um, but that's a story for another podcast. But um, I think that Stokes was trying to figure out because she was playing at best like a role player position. She's not an offensive threat. <laughs> She's been stretching the floor a little bit more with a perimeter shot now, which is something that Vegas, even Bill Ambeer and Becky Hammond has kind of adopted that as well. They like players to be able to, to stretch the floor with their shot. Um, 
But what always stood out to me, especially on the defensive side and what Kia Stokes has truly perfected while being with the Aces is the importance of rebounding. We talk about John Paul Jones and rebounding on Gotta Get Up, a podcast for New York Liberty fans brought to you by Black Rosie Media. We talk about that all the time because she's on the New York Liberty. But Kia Stokes, what is she averaging? 12.5 rebounds or something crazy like that? I mean, to not only give your team opportunities, second chance opportunities on the offensive side, but to nullify those second chance opportunities by clearing the boards defensively, that is where Kia Stokes has earned her WNBA contracts. And I do think that that could be something that becomes a factor because we always talk about rebounding, Brian, when it comes to the New York Liberty. We know that this Aces team is a team that in the paint um, can be very effective offensively and defensively. So let's start there. What are we expecting when it comes to the battle of the boards, um, but also just the battle of, of the front court? I think that, you know, I was thinking back, I saw I saw a statistic from a Twitter account. I retweeted earlier, but he meant it, they mentioned that in the games against the Aces, I think JJ had like 22 offensive rebounds by herself. And the Aces has as a team had 22 offensive rebounds. So that's, that's a situation. Yeah. Like that's a situation where they're going to need literally every single hand on the court to bother JJ. Because if you don't, JJ will clean you up. Like, like I, I'm still thinking back to game three where she just like swooped in from behind the three-point line, got that old board, and then got a lay in just all in one motion. I was like, oh wow, like this is this is bananas. And I think that for 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 Kia and the Aces, they're gonna need to really like battle her on, on the interior because she's she's playing in a way that reminds us of, of why she was MVP in 21. And if you if you're in a situation where you're trying to single cover her, if you don't put a body, if you don't put a real body on her on the glass, she's going to clean you up every time. And I think for the Aces, their best bet might be because when they've won against the Liberty, they, they've gotten JJ in foul trouble. And now that she, now that she's 100 percent healthy and she's playing like 37 minutes a night, you got to get her off the court, because if you don't, you're you're in a situation where she's going to like really wear you down on the inside and she plays with a toughness and physicality that can bother opponents so i think if you're yep. vegas you know and if kia stokes is in foul trouble they they becky loves to go to like just ac as as her bench as her bench player and ride with her starters from there it this is a situation where if you need that size you're gonna have to break out kayla george for for a good amount of minutes and assuming in all likelihood, Candace Parker may not be playing in this series. We haven't gotten anything, so I'm just going to operate on the assumption that she's not playing. So you're down. So you're downsized against a player who's really dialed in and playing heavy minutes like Jones is. So you're really going to need Kia Stokes to give as many good minutes as humanly possible. So that way it's not Asia Wilson having to battle um, Jones and Stewart by herself on the interior. I love that you brought up Jonquil's physicality because Misha, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, punt this one over to you. <sighs> Ooh, I, you know I try not to grab onto the social media goings on, but there has been something that has followed Jonquil Jones that I, actually Brian and I talk about because Brian is absolutely correct. If you can disrupt John Quell Jones, if you can frustrate John Quell Jones, 
you can almost guarantee she will foul out of the game or at least take her, herself out of the game. That being said, Brian and I have also talked about how Jonquel Jones has been able to curb that instinct and be more strategic this season. And she alluded to it, I guess, in the semifinals. And she talked about her maturity and really starting to become the player that, you know, she believes that she can be. But first, I want you, Misha, to just respond to the scuffle between AT and JJ, which has a lot of people stamped JJ with that dirty player mantra, which remember last year in the finals, who was the dirty player? It was AT. So there's that. But then also when you know that you have an opponent like John Quell Jones, who has a history of definitely throwing them bows wide and sharp, but also has been able to perhaps leave some of that in the past. Do you still go for it? Do you still try to frustrate her knowing that that might put you in the hole with some of your players and, and get them in foul trouble? Oh, Hey, WNBA fans, Erica L. Ayala here, and I am pleased to announce something very special. Given that a few members of the Gotta Get Up podcast are planning to cover the WNBA finals, we thought this would be a great time to roll out Gotta Get Up Overtime. Now, this is going to be a special Patreon-only podcast. By joining up on our Patreon page as part of Black Rosie Media, you will get a direct link um, to our audio podcast. This will be in addition to our free podcast. It will include things like exclusive interviews with players, especially when we're at games. It's going to include... some of our behind the scenes stuff when we're covering the WNBA finals, when we're at games, it will have some of our player interviews that maybe just don't make the podcast or that we're not using in articles elsewhere. So this is a great time to sign up for Gotta Get Up Overtime. And also, if you don't want to subscribe to our Patreon, which we highly recommend, we also going to have a newsletter coming in the off season, then we would love if you would consider making a you know, little tip to Gotta Get Up. If you've been finding our content useful, we again are going to have, we're expected to have two of our regular participants, Brian and Erica, that would be me, um, traveling for the WNBA finals. And right now this is a labor of love and we're looking to get ways to monetize the show and to expand our WNBA coverage. So if you're available, we have, again, the Patreon option, got to get up over time, and it's going to be an overdrive for the WNBA finals. <clears throat> but you can also um, make a, a little tip, you know, air quote tip, just donate anything that you can using Venmo or PayPal, and we would greatly appreciate it. But we are so excited to have some of our crew between myself, Misha, and Brian, we do have another episode. It's going to be in two parts coming to you soon. Um, and then I will be in Vegas for game one. And we'll keep up with you on Gotta Get Up, Gotta Get Up Over Time, and of course on Black Rosie social media for everything else. But thank you so much for listening or watching on YouTube. And we hope that for those who are able, that you support us beyond what you're doing right now. Thanks so much. 
doozy of a question, but I'm so glad that you're asking it. And I'm glad that we're talking about it openly. Um, I first want to respond to kind of what you guys are saying about her being able to curb uh, that sort of, you know, um, perspective on her game. And I totally agree with you. I think, you know, since the All-Star break, we didn't only see her get better production. We also saw her start to settle into, you know, this team. And I think realizing, looking around and realizing, oh, I got some stars on my on my squad. I'm, we got a chance to really do something here that puts you in a different kind of mindset as opposed to, you know, let's be honest, in Connecticut, they had great players, but it always felt like they weren't able to put it together. And it's something that can be frustrating that can weigh on you as a player. And so, you know, there's the the possibility that her being in this situation is kind of like, oh, I don't have to be that person. You know what I mean? I don't have to, to do all that. I have people who have my back, even if I get in foul trouble, which she has at times, um, who can pick up the slack. Um, but yeah, her and AT in the semifinals, I didn't really think too much of it because recall in our preview, I think actually of either game two, I don't know if it was of the series or game two, one of my things was whichever between the two of them gets most frustrated, that's the team that's going to lose the series. What happened? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like not to not to knock AT whatsoever, because I think she left her guts on the freaking table in the semis. But what happened? Connecticut, we talked about it on the last podcast. They sort of imploded a little bit. That does not mean they didn't play hard. They didn't play good basketball. It's just, you know, what happened? And JJ was able to keep herself composed even in that moment. You know, because I'm sure as soon as it went down, as soon as AT went down and the whistle blew, it's the first thing in my head. Oh, here we go again. You know what I mean? They're going to try to paint me as this, that, and the third. And let's be real. There's also another element to this. If we want to get really real, JJ is a masculine pre presenting black woman. Okay. She's one of the tallest things on that court. All right. Let's talk about it. And sometimes I'm of a belief that, you know, not only her, but other players in the W and in college they end up getting fouls okay. called on them because of their stature as opposed to Talk what actually it. happened. Look, look, I'm just trying to keep it real. I'm trying to keep it a buck, all right? Um, but I think that JJ is is carrying all of that so gracefully. Um, I'm so excited to see her really being consistent. It's her and Benajah right now. They're the one, they're the reason the New York Liberty are in the finals. Um, and I think that as it comes to this series specifically, Brian's absolutely right. Like, if you can, if you can figure out a way to keep JJ going, keep her engine, you know, roaring, and have Asia Wilson in a situ situation where she's got to help on Brianna Stewart and she's got to deal with JJ, that's your best bet. You know what I mean? But on the flip side, JJ, there I can see situations where she could end up in foul trouble just because Asia Wilson is Asia Wilson. We've seen her dominate. We've seen her make her way to the free throw line. What is she averaging in the playoffs? Like. I don't even know is is something crazy, um, and she's imposing her will. So right. you know, it, it'll be a battle of the wills. Ironically, it'll be a battle of who's most strategic, who's smartest, um, and who, frankly, gets a, a pulse on how the refs are calling the game quickest exactly. and addressed to it. Mm -hmm. That is exactly where I wanted to go next because I don't know what article it was from. Um, just as someone who used to write for the Athletic, it looked like it might have been from the Athletic. But Becky Hammond screenshotted. Uh, she did a screenshot of two she uh, plays. <laughs> <laughs> two plays where, and we talked about this on our last podcast because I said, "Officials be damned, drop them shoulders and see what happens." And damn. Um, if that's not exactly what happened, because I mean, I don't really have an opinion, Brian, uh, on the officiating personally. I, 
because I, again, I think there are things that you do or don't um, that should be able to nullify or at least um, step into, as Misha said, however the game is being called. But um, I mean, we have Asia Wilson. Again, if we go back to, I was joking, Brian, but also we, we know there's a twinge of serious in there. This is the matchup that the WNBA wants. How much does the product, right? The league product versus the game impact how the game is called. And I don't know the answer. I don't know if I'm putting on a tinfoil hat right now. If I'm no, it's a hell of a question. Theorist, but you have to you have to think about it this way. Asia Wilson, in my opinion, is the generational talent for the for the WNBA um, fan base that exists today. The reason, if we're keeping it a buck, that Sabrina Ionescu, I don't really want to put Stewie in that situation for a few reasons, but just for lack, uh, for just for argument's sake, I'm going to put Stewie and Sab together for a moment. That is, they represent the look traditionally, and especially Sabrina being, you know, she's cis Norman. She's just the whole package. They represent I what I believe the WNBA is trying to flirt with putting in the forefront to reach a wider audience. Like, you know, if if someone's gonna like who's who's the person that's gonna meet Taylor Swift at a WNBA game? <laughs> Who are they gonna put up there? You know what I'm saying? Like it to contextualize it. I do that's think true. Sabrina has more of that than anybody else arguably i'm just saying i i'm i'm just saying it is what it is and then you have brianna stewart who's white <laughs> she's gay and she hoops out of her mind i'm curious if they're gonna let them play how the semifinals went down which for me i mean i'm kind of here for it I'm kind of here for it, but not everyone wants to see that kind of basketball. Like that basketball is a physical sport. Yes. You're gonna put me on my soapbox. You're about on. to put me on my soapbox. People forget. Wait a minute. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna go on mute. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, because I want you to finish your thought. I'm just saying that people get so caught up in the the lashing out at or responding to people who have something to say about women getting a little too violent. When the fact of the matter is, basketball is it's a physical sport. You it's knock each other sport. over. You push each other to the ground. You, like that's how it goes. Um, so I'm do. just that's what you do. Yeah. And I so, like, say. listen, I, listen. As long as they were consistent. So you know, Rebecca Lobo didn't like those two plays early on. For me, I was like, did you get your feet there or not? Like, don't look at my shoulder as the indicator. If you fell on your ass, that's not that's not a me problem. Did you get there in time or not? Nah? Period. Period. That's it. That's it. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't look at like the force, you know, that we don't measure, you know, pull out our little calculators and do the physics on how much force with which did did someone hit on the arm? Did you hit the arm or not? Nah? Like if you graze that arm, technically <laughs> someone could blow that whistle. 
Fact. Whether you, you grazed it or you hack it off clean, a foul is a foul. Like contact is contact. Um, now I'm saying that obviously I'm, I'm being a little hyperbolic here, but I am curious, Brian, does a, a, a physical game where the officials let it go does, and, and both teams can settle into that, do you have a gauge on who you think comes out of this gladiator match? <laughs> I would say um, what would help is that I saw ESPN put the graphic out today. Um, Sunday's game between New York and Connecticut was their highest rated playoff game of the year. And right towards like that amazing finish, that's where it peaked at almost like a million people. So it's like we see it and it's, oh, this is intense, physical, tough basketball that people love. So I think for I think that is enough. Of, I think that's a good gauge to be like, oh, we want to see players who. We want we want the referees out the way. Don't don't call nothing. Don't call nothing. Just get out the way. Let them do what they do. I I have confidence that they will do that. And I think that I think with that extra freedom and flexibility gives players more. Because I think I think we sometimes undersell players' ability to like like you said, Erica, adjust on the fly. So if you know a game is being called a particular way, you can adjust it. You you can set screens at different angles. You can do all these kind of things differently. And as players, you can sort of like. It's almost like dancing where you hear the beat and then you, you catch the rhythm after a point. So I feel like I feel like I have good faith that it's gonna play out like that on Sunday. And I hope it does. Cause I like I yeah, I, ne I never want to hear a whistle if I'm in an arena. Like it's just like every it's like every two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I one of the um one of the more fun viewing experiences I had was like the Liberty Sky game in Chicago a couple like about a month or so back. Cause the game went about like eight minutes without a single whistle. No, no TV break, no nothing. Just like That's you get up, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Do it that way. That's that basketball. I feel like, yeah, like I really want to just like have, like I, I want the referees to be background noise essentially. I just I want to hear the crowd, only the players, only people, only see players do what they do, and then it's better off that way. So I think it will play out in that regard. So I have good faith when it comes to that. I want to like see it. players call their own fouls. Give, <laughs> give, give, me, give me a lead. Give me a lead where players call their own fouls and refs sit on the sideline. And when we got an argument, y'all can go to the replay then. That's what I want to see. But anyway. That's hilarious. All right. Um, writing down, send memo to Athletes Unlimited. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, great idea. Let us know if you're interested um <laughs> another thing i got my handy dandy notebook here because i remember also becky hammond talking about the the semifinals, the the clincher for the aces and she talked about the grit and the defense that her team had to um execute to win that game against dallas wasn't pretty but they got it done but then she also talked about entertainment value, Misha. And I wrote this down because we've talked about when it comes to a Connecticut Sun team that if they keep a team under, I think I said 78, and that's probably being a little more on the liberal side, but if they can keep teams in the 70s, which they do effectively, they usually are going to win that game. Now the Aces, if they – don't score more than 65 on the season, that's an L. That's an immediate L for them. 
So knowing that Becky Hammond, it sounds like, is likely going to challenge her team to not only think about winning, but also the entertainment value, a.k.a. the offensive side of it. Do you think it's reasonable between the physicality, uh, cluster uh, of great post players in the paint, and even on both sides, players that can hit from the perimeter, do you think that we get any of these games in the final where either team is sub 65 points? Okay. So <laughs> we've talked about pace. I, that's one of the things, you know, as a player, as a coach, as, you know, basketball head, that's one of the things I've always got my eye on is pace. Um, and this is a situation where I think, both of these teams at their worst are not putting points on the board. You know what I'm saying? Both of these teams at their worst are not shooting the ball well, this, down the third. But I see a possibility because this is a series. Like, people forget playing a series is very different than playing a, a, a lone standing game. And I can see a situation where not only the Aces end up below 65, sub-65, but the Liberty also do because we've got Sandy Brondell on one side and Becky Hammond on the other side. And them X's and O's is about to be X'ing and O'ing. Okay? Them, them whiteboards is about to be whiteboarding. All right? And not only that, we've got some of the, the most... You want to talk about things that fly under the radar? Some of the smartest basketball players, period, out there on both of these teams. And I say that because when they play game one, it's going to go one way or the other. We know that. But those adjustments that they make, between what we say Sunday and Wednesday, that's a lot of time. That is a lot of time. And I can't sit here and pretend like that does not have a factor in how these games go. Because the more time you have to prepare, the more time you have to put yourself in the mind of your opponent, the more time you have to, you know, stifle what it is they're trying to do. You've also got a season's worth of film of what other teams have done to stifle them. You know what I mean? You've got two other series to look back at. And so I'm looking at Becky Hammond and I'm looking at Sandy Brondello, and I just know they're going to have – Sandy gonna move one pawn and, ah. and Becky gonna move the other pawn. You know, it's gonna be that kind of matchup. And so I see a situation where because of adjustments made, because of IQ level, um, and frankly, the willingness to get into that gritty kind of uh uh, you know, duke it out kind of game. I see a situation where both teams have a horrible shooting night because they're just on each other's stuff like that. Um, but I do think that in that situation, it might not be the prettiest aces basketball we will ever see. But if they're going sub-65 and New York is sub-65, the Aces win that game. Mm. And that's because the Aces, to me, play better defense more consistently. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, that that's my – that's my. I'm, I'm putting it out there the way it is. Okay. Um, Listen. But I also think that the likelihood of that happening is low, and I hope it's low because I like points. I'm going to be real <laughs> with y'all. I love good defense, but I like seeing the ball go through the hole. Yeah, I like – I love – good defense and I agree with you that it's very plausible that at least one of the games however far we go is a low scoring game but Brian I also think to Misha's point that they made about pace it's very possible that we get like crazy you know MNBA type numbers here where it's like 127 to 125. I hope so. Give me three overtime. I, 
Yeah, I was thinking like, as you guys were talking, I was thinking back to the the the, the four games in August that, that the Liberty played against Vegas, and one thing that immediately kept springing to mind was how aggravated Becky Hammond was that they kept going under on screens when UNESCO had the ball. It like it, like every time she's like, "Why are you doing that?" And then she's like, "Oh, some of those shots, some of that defense was embarrassing." So I'm really curious to see how Vegas tries to adjust to her because. The thing about Sabrina is that if you give her like if you take if you take your eye off her for like half a second, she's on the other side and she's wide open for three, and that's it. Like you know, even in Game Three on Friday night, Dewana Bonner like she she took an eye off her for like half a second, and then Sabrina just darted by her. And then even coming down, DB immediately rose her hand up was like, "That's my bad. I I messed up the plan there." So I think playing against a team like New York really it really requires so much like discipline and attention to detail that I think is really a huge tax because you have to really like having to chase someone around for, for 94 feet who's always on the go and who, who who has really gotten better at finishing at the rim if you do play a really tight initially and if you drop back your big is going to go up against her downhill where she can draw fouls and, and, and really have success at the line so I'm really excited to see how Vegas does against her and i think something that's positive for new york that, that they that they can take from last game against connecticut was that the sun were really doing a lot of trapping on the ball with with the liberty they were able to force advantage loop into a lot of turnovers but with sabrina i thought that she was really able to start handling it well and we asked her about it in post game she was like yeah just like really making sure the ball moves especially when you have long defenders like db and at just like swarming you every time just knowing to move off the ball immediately keep the keep the line going i think that level of communication and teamwork with the liberty is really present in a way that wasn't all the way there at the beginning of the season and back in the very first first aces matchup back in like june 29th so i think that that improvement and that sort of consistency and that sort of like i guess togetherness for lack of a better term will really sort of shine through and i think it'll like like misha said like like the in-between adjustments in this series are going to be crucial because they're going to be able to adjust to the first defense and how do you come back the second time third time etc yeah there are a few things that you said that I want to get to, but I want to let folks know who are listening to Gotta Get Up, a podcast for New York Liberty fans brought to you by Black Rosie Media. We are going to start winding this one down. We're going to definitely talk about game one predictions, but I also want to go around the horn and ask, do we think we see CP3 at some point in this series? 